when you remote view something in Antarctica that turns out to be mostly conventional, on the edges you often find that there is like stuff buried under the ice from a very long time ago. Right. But that wasn't what is what was causing this gravitational anomaly there. On the North Pole and the South Pole, because of the gravitational anomalies there, they're closer to space in certain ways. There's easier ways to access space. It could be in Antarctica, it could be anywhere on the Earth. There are probably around at least six more of these structures. What we as human beings consider life forms are very limited. Yeah. Right? And intelligence. We, exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's like, what if what if this octagonal thing that they found in Antarctica was looking for other types of life forms that human beings don't consider to be life forms? I've found that there are, there are other species coming here that don't want to have anything to do with humans necessarily. And they're looking for other things because look around you. It's like the amount of like DNA and genetic sequences here are huge, like way beyond humans. So many life forms here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Metaphysical Podcast for the next episode in our marathon of a deep dive into the secrets of Antarctica. We covered ancient civilizations, Admiral Byrd, military operations from both the United States and Nazi Germany, and nuclear testing. But if you thought that was the end, we're really just getting started. We know you want to hear the truth about the tales of a giant hole that leads to the center of the Earth, and whether it's real or rumor. We know you want to hear about the ancient aliens said to be on Antarctica and the UFO technology reportedly located there. And there are other weird things going on down there, like gravity anomalies that are definitely going to blow your mind. So if that sounds like the metaphysical kind of information you're looking for, join remote viewer John Pavanko and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a show that's out of this world. And are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast or watching us on a video platform? If you are, please leave us a five-star rating and review. We truly appreciate it. It helps us spread like crazy. Make sure you like and subscribe as well. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on this cool content. John, how you doing? Good. I like at the top of our doc here, we just have this, this uh, headline that says weird stuff. <laughs> yes, with Antarctica, there's a lot of weird stuff. You know, we haven't gotten into him yet, uh, Eric Hecker, and and the uh, this new whistleblower that came out recently. Uh, we are going to be getting into that in the next episode. But there was something that he said that was that was of interest to me, which was he said something to the effect of where he was located. You know, uh, at his base, the Raytheon base or whatever. He saw no giant hole leading to the center of the Earth, but he was like, right. but maybe it was somewhere else. <laughs> Like as yeah, if like you just because you can't discount it. Right. Just because he hasn't seen it doesn't mean it's not there. And I kind of am curious of what your what your opinion on that is. Um, you know, if maybe you've looked into anything like that. Well, that's the uh, whole thing. It's like it's like we've tried to um we've tried to go through Admiral Byrd's diary, through what Admiral Byrd did, um, because those are the at least the most solid leads that we have. We've never seen anything like that in our data. But again, you know, it doesn't mean that there's not something there. What we have seen as far as inner earth goes is that there are pockets, areas where um, there are beings, different types of beings, but nothing that's sort of like this whole big expanse of the middle of the earth is just a huge civilization. 
kind of thing. And a lot of the, the theories, especially when you get to Admiral Byrd and the hole in Antarctica is like literally supposedly the entrance into or in the North Pole, like the book, The Smoky God, like it talks yes. about that, where these guys sailed to the North Pole and they went into inner Earth. It's like we've never seen anything like that. Literally, all we've ever seen are these little pockets. Nothing like, well, there's a sun in the middle of the Earth and there's like another like con concave civilization inside of there and they have sky and a sun. We've never seen anything like that. So and I thought, you know, The Smoky God was a great book. Uh, but ultimately didn't pan out as far as remote viewing was concerned. Just a fun fictional book. Yeah. Well, well he said it was real. Like, you know, the guy that wrote it said it was real. This is what happened. But no, we didn't see that. We just didn't see it. It, it seemed yeah. to be because the story was like this guy with his father going on this journey and his father dies on the journey. What the what ultimately the book was about, according to our remote viewing data, was his processing of his father's death. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't for everyone at home listening to this, that doesn't mean that that's not true or it doesn't exist. Just John's remote viewing data didn't find that on specific things that he looked at. Right. Right. Like I say, we've got to find the more solid things that we could task on. We can't just task on. Is there we can't just in remote viewers don't do binary. They don't do yes, no answers. They only describe things, events, places, right? Yeah, real places, real real things. places, right? So if you just said describe inner earth, if you just add a remote viewer, describe inner earth, they would describe it according to the stories that are out there because that's what you're asking them to do. We want to know like what did somebody find where there's a claim to inner earth? Which, That's how we get into these things. Right, which is why the Shasta um, right. uh, series that we did was so mind-blowing because we actually found specific articles detailing different different things going on within the mountain and different tunnel systems and and beings. And, and there was just so many stories to go off of from research that we were able to find a little bit more than, than I think the average uh, series on Mount Shasta. So, you know, I, I, my understanding is like when you're when you're talking about. OK, when you're talking about this idea of Agartha, hey, it very well may exist. Right. But when the specific story of Agartha is that at the top of the poles, there is a massive hole that leads down in there. And, you know, it's a very specific thing. Right. Uh, and this comes off of a theory um, from uh, William R. Bradshaw's science fiction novel. And there were other guys that actually thought that that this was a thing, that, that the Earth was actually uh, constructed in this way or that that it was, you know, the structure was this way. And um, I think personally, it's more likely that there are multiple entrances in uh, to, I guess you could say, the inner earth and that there probably are beings or civilizations that are there, much like there's stuff under the oceans that we don't understand. But, you know, like you said, it's like, are they all connected and it's down into this little area? I don't know. It's more likely that it, they, that these are localized in different places, you know? And, yeah. Right. And, and, right. and some of these, like what we've seen, have some type of high technology. Um, some of these are like even like leftover from Nephilim type giant uh, 
civilizations that went underground. Actually, you know, one of the things that we did see was that when, I mean, this gets into a whole other area, but when we, when we were looking at like the Nephilim from the Bible, mm. yeah, like, like we saw that there was <clears throat> a contingent of split off between the, the very first arrival here where a group of them that wanted to uh, pretty much rule this planet and take over humans and ate humans and fought with humans. And there was a larger contingent that didn't want to ha have anything to do with them. And so they went underground. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's kind of the thing with Antarctica too, is when we're talking about whether or not there's an entrance into the inner earth in Antarctica, it's like asking whether there's an entrance to inner earth on any continent. It's like, you're more likely to find one of those than you aren't. So, you know, Yes, there's like you have a dimensional construct too. Well, the, man, yeah, that, I mean that's right? like the whole Shambhala thing, right? Like, like I'm not sure. I'm sure there's like some physical aspect to it as well, but but for the most part, it's like a higher dimensional construct that exists like on our planet with our planet in parallel. In parallel, right? Right. And you find that with a lot of different planets, you find that there is a dimensional construct where you have another civilization that you don't see in the third dimensional realm, but you would see in a different dimensional realm. These are like more <laughs> macroscopic or microscopic um, particles that we're not we're not really seeing. Right. Um, or on a different frequency, however you want to describe it. Right. Along with the kind of entrances and exits for to for inner Earth, there's also, you know, another thing that Eric Hecker talked about was that the, the, I guess the first time that they went to the moon, that they had realized that their uh, mathematics on gravity was a little bit off and that it was easier to enter um, space from the South pole based off of the new math that they had come across. Uh, he We're talking, that, are we talking about like the rotational South pole? You know, I don't know, but he, he just, when he was talking about it, he just mentioned that the, the, the mathematics were slightly off and they realized that it's easier to, I guess you could say, enter space from the South pole than anywhere else or enter space and, or potentially do experimentations from the South pole into space, probably for multiple different reasons. But one of them was gravity. And I think that there's been a lot of speculation that, you know, it's on the North Pole and the South Pole, because of the gravitational anomalies there, there's more there. I guess they're closer to space in certain ways. There's easier ways to access space. So, yeah, it's interesting that with rockets, we're saying with rockets, right? yeah, with yeah. rockets and or with comms, communications, what have you. Right. That's really interesting because, okay, so satellites, when they launch satellites, they launch satellites um, to the east so that it, it, it's easier to get out with Earth's rotation because it takes a ton of fuel. So what it seems like to me that he's talking about is that they would be launching from the rotational center. Like, like you got the Earth rotating and they're launching from the rotational center. Which is an interesting idea because that literally could be a heck of a lot easier to even to launch from there than launching towards the east. That's, That's interesting. a great point. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Very interesting point. I didn't think of. But there's also there's strange anomalies everywhere, like gravitational anomalies. You know, we do have um, mystery spots across 
the the country across the globe. And there is, you know, what's called the South Pole gravity anomaly, which, you know, I was just kind of mentioning with according to, to Hecker. And then there was this something down there called the Wilkesland Antarctic anomaly, right? Did you look into this? Yeah, I'm not sure if Hecker's referring to the same thing or not. Maybe, right. maybe not. I'm not sure what he's referring to. But we were looking at the Wilkesland Antarctic anomaly, which is supposedly a gravitational anomaly, because there were a lot of theories around it in the alternative communities that there's some kind of a giant pyramid or ancient civilization with advanced technology left behind in that area that's causing this this huge anomaly there different readings on satellite or on uh different readings on um uh from satellites and whatnot so on the gravity of the area and so we looked in to try to understand if there was something there or not and like while the remote viewers are viewing this we were like on the periphery we were picking up like uh, remnants of ancient civilizations, like literally, like when you remote view something in Antarctica that turns out to be mostly conventional on the edges, you often find that there is like stuff buried under the ice from a very long time ago. Right. But that wasn't what is what was causing this gravitational anomaly there, this huge like electromagnetic anomaly. What, what it is, is that there is a, um, uh, Dense, dense material in the earth there. So that the, the like material, metal, metal a mask on, asteroid impact, something like that. What's right? a mask on? It's the remnants of an ast asteroid in impact where it's, it's very condensed material. Hmm. So when you have very heavy condensed material, you're going to find gravitational anomalies <clears throat> in those areas. So that's what we found there, that it was an, more of a natural thing than anything strange and extraordinary as far as that goes. But like you were saying earlier, it's like you find gravitational anomalies all over the planet. They're everywhere, the mystery spots, et cetera, et cetera, where things are a little bit strange and bizarre. There could be something there that, that, is, that they're utilizing because it's a very intense gravitational anomaly. You know, it could be. Could be. I mean, like, for instance, when you get to the South Atlantic anomaly, they have to shut satellites off as they fly over that area because it basically screws with all the electronics on the satellites, wow. right? So, so a satellite can't fly over the South Atlantic anomaly without getting screwed up? Right, exactly. So they shut them off. So, uh, so off all it, the power. it sounds more magnetic than gravitational, but those two are connected, aren't they? Yeah, they're connected. So it's a, it would be in the South Atlantic anomaly. Um, there's a, a little bit of a dipping that can occur because of different gravity when the satellites fly over, as well as electronic perturbations that can fry out the satellites. Because right there, the Earth's magnetic field is a lot weaker. And so more particles from space will hit the satellites to cause them to fry out. Hmm. I wonder if that's being utilized at all in different ways by, you know, our military or these bases that are down there. Well, what's weird about the South Atlantic anomaly is that, like, if you look at where it is, it's like South Atlantic is somewhat close to where they conducted Operation Argus. Right. Um, and scientists don't necessarily know why there's an anomaly there. And 
well, what if it was caused by what they did with Operation Argus? Oh, man. Yeah. Operation okay. Argus was that what one, right? I mean, yeah, you can say it. Yeah. So Operation Argus, you guys, if you didn't watch the last episode or a few episodes earlier, what are you doing? Why don't you watch those? Go watch those. But seriously, <laughs> back doing? to Operation Argus, it was uh, experiments conducted by what looks like our our Navy, where they um, they actually tested nukes in the ionosphere or some part of the of the of the sky or the atmosphere to test uh, energy, essentially. And it was pretty classified in 1958. And then in 1961, it was revealed that they did that. Uh, what's crazy is how close they were to South Africa. Uh, I mean, any place is too close to another place when we're talking about nuclear bombs. But it's right. like they went all the way down there. They tested some. And, you know, then we wonder why, uh, you know, we've got a bad rap in, um, you know, the world community, America. I mean. Yeah, kind of weird. And uh, hopefully no one got radiation, uh, long term effects from radiation from that, you know. And while we were talking about this, too, it occurred to me like the communications would be so much easier down in Antarctica, too, because there's less atmosphere to go through. We're talking about they're at a like a minimum of 8000 feet, like an average of 8000 feet uh, elevation at all times, never mind some areas being at 13 or 14,000 feet. And so they're higher up there in the air, which makes it much easier for, uh, for them to com communicate. I would say like with radio signals or whatever you have to, any, anytime you're going through less atmosphere, you're going to have a much easier time. If there are things to communicate with in outer space, whether it be satellites or whatever else that they could have out there, that's, you know, black ops that we don't know too much about. That is the interesting concept I think that Hecker put forth too. And I know, I know people like, especially when you look at the YouTube, uh, presentation, that was a disclosure, a Greer disclosure, disclosure conference. I know that there are a lot of comments in YouTube of like, this guy was just like a fireman. Why are we even listening or to plumbing this? and heating guy? Plumbing or and, yeah. Right. But it's like the, the, the thing is, is that where else have you heard anybody actually talking and trying to connect the dots in Antarctica, right? So that's why what, what I find really interesting about this guy. And then also knowing based on remote viewing data that he's he's legit, he's legit in what he's doing. He's not an operative that's been put up to this. He is literally somebody who's got a bone to pick with Raytheon. And so he's upset. And so he wants to just give information out. And I, you know, he, he doesn't probably necessarily have a ton of like super secret information. I don't think he would just based on his own observations and putting the dots together, which is important. It's an important starting point. And it could bring out more people that are in the know, deeper in the know down there um, and give us information. Well, and I think I think people don't use their heads when it comes to whistleblowers like this a lot. Like, I think everyone, for some reason, everyone just thinks they're so smart and there's nothing else to learn and they know everything. But when we're talking about Antarctica and the types of problems that could happen in an icy place where you can't use water or fire and you have to use, you know, extinguishers to put fires out, you can't use water, it will freeze right away you know, fire, fire hazards from all of the electronics that are running these bases become very, very real things. We're talking about very harsh conditions where you're trying to conduct normal living spaces for human beings. More can go wrong, more happens. And then a guy like Eric Hecker becomes way more important. 
Right. More, more important in some cases than the scientist because he has to keep things going. Right. And then everyone's like, well, what do you know about this? Well, it's like, actually, it does make sense. Like, what do you know about Antarctica? Have you gone down there and tried to conduct uh, experiments down there? You haven't, you know, like, so he makes an attempt to explain where his information is coming from and why it's limited, but then also why he had access to more things. I think those are all really important things to take into consideration is that when you look at where his mind's at while he's, you know, going into all of this information, things check out. He seems of sound mind, incredibly. Not a lot of like, oh, deception going on that you could right. potentially hear in other people's accounts. Right. So you guys, we will be getting into Eric Hecker in the next episode. Um, but we have something really interesting to go into next, which is uh, some very real whistleblower stuff that has not been mentioned or that we found a lead on in the show Ancient Aliens. Now, Linda Moulton Howe appears on Ancient Aliens all the time. You know, people might have different feelings about her and the stuff that she kind of reports on. Fine. Who cares? I'm not even interested in that. The interesting part about this is that there was a Navy SEAL that came out to speak about a specific base that he had photos of that he he basically routed this information through Linda Moulton Howe. Linda gave Ancient Aliens in the History Channel uh, this information and they published a little segment on this episode specifically talking about an octagonal base that was on Antarctica. And so after finding this lead, I, I kind of spoke to John about it and John and his team of remote viewers decided to look into this to see if there was any truth about this and what else is kind of going down on Antarctica. So before we get to John's information, I would kind of like to watch this little clip um, from ancient aliens where we can we can kind of see what's being presented and you guys have an opportunity to look at this so go ahead lindsay play this or even thousands of years in july 2018 linda molden howe interviewed a whistleblower who offered to provide her with classified information regarding antarctica on the condition that she not reveal his identity her source, a retired Navy SEAL, who she identifies as Spartan One, provided her with details of an ancient structure he claims to have visited during his time at the South Pole. At that time, my rank was First Lieutenant Commander, Naval Special Operations. We were inbound the southeast coast of Antarctica. We were dispatched for unofficially was a research reconnaissance mission. Officially, it was to find a certain individual, obtain any information, and bring it back. What was the date? August 2003. According to Spartan One, when he and his team reached their destination, they encountered a large octagonal structure protruding from the ice. Cautiously, they proceeded to enter it. At the very top of the first structure we entered, there was almost 18 feet poking from the ice. The rest of it was hidden under the ice. Each door was the same, uh, anywhere from 18 feet thick to around 30 feet thick. And even though these doors were that thick and that heavy, you could take one finger and push them and they would open. There was no resistance whatsoever. 
the outside temperature was at least 40 degrees below zero. Wow. Once you stepped inside these structures, the temperature was an ambient 68 to 72 degrees. What about the ceilings, hallways, floors? It was lighted from the inside, but we could not find the source of light. It was a lime green in color. The walls were lined with what I call hieroglyphics, but nothing of hieroglyphics that I've ever seen in my life. Could there really be mysterious structures buried at the South Pole? Very interesting. So talking about an octagonal base that sounds very alien or ancient civilization inspired that he's entering and, and, and then giving his account of what he saw and found. And this was back in, what did he say? August of 2003. Right. And some of the details, very interesting too. Like, okay, so he sees, you, you know, the door, he could, ju you just touch it with your finger and it opens right up. I mean, think yeah. about the mathematics and mechanics behind that. Right. Never, never mind the fact that it's 40 below outside. And as soon as you enter, it's 68 to 72 degrees. Perfect right. for, for living conditions or biological creatures. Right. Right. Yeah. So when we, when we remote view these types of things, we, we first have to legitimize the basic story. Like we can't just like go describe this structure. We can't just do that because there's a, uh, a story around it that could be true or not be true. First, we have to find out the truthfulness of the individual. Like what, why is the individual telling this story? Why are they, why are they whistleblowing? Whatever. Um, then we also want to look at what they were doing at the time they claimed they were there. So when we remote view what they were doing, that could be a triangulation point for uh, the reason why they're telling this story, right? So we get, we look at it from different angles to, to verify the truth. And then if we get truth, then we look at the structure, right? So that's, that's for later on. So this guy in our data is described like, like the viewers are getting visuals of ice as far as what he was doing at that time of ice, of a structure, like descriptions of the, a structure that is half embedded in the ice that is very sleek, that has very esoteric type technology connected to it. The guy is kind of on pins and needles, but has a super military attitude about getting a job done um, and periods of anxiety. So, okay, what I'm saying is that, yes, this guy is telling the truth. It's legit, right? He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. So, so from there, we can view the structure. Okay. And what it's there for, where it came from, who's behind it and what's it doing. So, sure. so with this structure, there are more of them. Okay. It's in Antarctica. It could be in Antarctica. It could be anywhere on the earth. There are mm -hmm. probably around at least six more of these structures. They are usually connected up like into a larger configuration and then they'll break off and they'll go to different locations. And these structures are almost AI-like. It isn't from AI, but they are AI-like. It's very, very extremely advanced technology. And what they're doing, what our data is, is describing is that they are looking for <clears throat> very specific types of 
genetic or DNA um, signals. Like they, these, these beings through their technology have the ability to read biological DNA type signals to, to isolate them and then go after them and then go find, find them. So they are looking for a very specific biological DNA signal by placing these things around the earth. They're, they're autonomous and they can move, they can take off when they need to take off. When they're done, they're done. They'll go back and connect with the rest. And all this data, it's like their antennas on the thing internally. I mean, this is super highly advanced. So all of this information is being fed back to a central location, not on this planet. And, and, and this information is, is gone through like in an AI way in order to find that specific genetic sequence, biological DNA sequence on this planet so that it can later be taken for a specific purpose. Not, it doesn't necessarily have to do with humans. It doesn't necessarily have to do with humans. So that's what this, this object is doing down there. It has got these tendrils out, antennas out of frequency of energy that it is trying to read, read yeah. and on where to find this biological thing. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of those things that they introduced in like the the second uh, trilogy of the Star Wars movies where they, they said that Jedis had these things called medic clarions or whatever and that was what gave the jedi their their like supernatural powers is it was almost like these things connect into the the sort of uh the force and if someone has more of them they become they're they're more likely to be trained to become a jedi all right so let's talk about the beings okay let's <laughs> all right so in viewing these beings their their physical appearance was bizarre. I, I mean, they did have this sort of ubiquitous big head and big eyes, but they had other aspects that I hadn't seen before. That thanks, thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> oh man, the alien from Men in Black that probably doesn't look like anything like John is describing. <laughs> so they had that look, but they had a more of a reptilian and snake-like look oh. as well. The snake-like part was weird because that I've not really seen that much before. They were scientists, but they were also involved in very esoteric, like dark, I, you could call it dark magic as well. So it was a combination of science and, and sorcery, very mm. dark sorcery. And what the, this, they're like a, like a cultish offshoot of another race that has the technology and the esoteric understanding in order to make themselves be even more powerful. It would be akin to like having a genetic sequence of the force in, um, in Star Wars, right? So these beings are look that they're constantly looking for some type of biological genetic marker to further enhance their, I wouldn't call it their species, their cult-like offshoot that they've created for themselves to turn themselves into to gain more power. So they're kind of genetically modifying themselves with this very specific recipe to gain exactly. more power. Exactly. 
to, to, to turn themselves even more esoterically powerful. And, and this, this, what could you say? This is exactly fun. like that. This is it's exactly exciting. like friggin' Star Wars, the right. Phantom Menace. Right. Right. I never saw that, so I wouldn't know. But wait, yeah, did you, you, you haven't seen those, the, the trilogy from like, I don't, I don't, I don't like Star Wars. I'm sorry. Like people are going to hate on me. I don't like Star Wars. I don't know why. I just never got into it. I mean, I watched the first one, obviously, like everybody watches that. Well, but. A New Hope wasn't really. Okay, so like just to be quite honest here, you should probably watch the first three just to put it under your belt. But like the rest of them, like because it starts episode four five and six. Right. And then and then it's basically in the early 2000s, they did episode one, two and three. And everything at that point and since then has been trash. But the first three movies I really think you should watch because the, the early, early ones I watch, you know, yeah. yeah Empire movie. Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay. beyond that, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm with you. Yeah, I don't I don't think that that's I think most people would agree with you. Like those movies were solid. But then after that, but but the concept here is what we're talking about, which is there's some type something that they've kind of scientifically narrowed down that increases maybe supernormal power or esoteric power. Yeah that they're trying to harvest. Yeah, which is that's always what that's like what it is. It's like when we look at species that come here from other 3D physical locations, one of the biggest things, the huge thing that they're going after are genetic sequences, DNA. That is really the seed that they're always looking for, no matter what race is it, it is. It's just interesting like what this race is trying to do. It's like, you know, when you remote view this stuff, you always have to be careful because you don't know what you're running into as far as viewing on these beings, especially if they have a more esoteric aspect to them and awareness because they can come at you and attack you. But these guys were so like, they didn't Hold care. Themselves. They were yeah. like, Oh yeah. They, they just didn't care. They're like you, you are nothing. So why would I even like bother think your way? Yeah. So, okay. The question then becomes, so these things are after a genetic material or a sequence what do they do to harvest it? Are they are they abducting humans? Are they killing human beings that have it? Wasn't necessarily related to humans. Humans have a uh, a thing about them, an ego, very ego based society, ego based, where we think we're the the greatest thing ever. The bees but you have to knees, think of it. John. <laughs> we think we're the bees knees. I think that's the phrase. <laughs> the bees knees for. is what it is. Yeah. So so. I've found that there are, other, there are other species coming here that don't want to have anything to do with humans necessarily. And they're looking for other things because look around you. It's like the amount of like DNA and genetic sequences here are huge, like way beyond humans. So many life forms here, life forms that we have no idea what their intelligence capacity well, is. Right. And life forms that we probably don't aren't even aware of. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We get so caught up in, I mean, the human drama is the only thing that exists for humans. Humans try, are so like concerned about themselves and what they do that they hardly even go outside, just live in these boxes. We, we turn on our TV and we watch all the drama between humans constantly. It's like, ah, humans, just get over yourselves. Yeah, but what you said about us living in boxes is true. I mean, our homes are right. boxes that we live in and we don't right. like everything that's going on in our lives revolves around those homes, which, you know, in a way you could say is like, wow, how how limited are we? But then from another perspective, you kind of got to love the simplicity. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, I, I swear as I get older, the more I really enjoy listening to country music because there is like the, like, it's simple. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it's like, it, it's like, I actually rather enjoy that because it's like, it's about the simple things in life. And, and the, it's like the entire story behind Lord of the Rings was how like, it was really the simple individuals that made the difference in this like super complicated world. It wasn't these elves or these wizards or whatever. It was like, no, it was Frodo Baggins. Who's like right. his, his biggest That's deal so every true. day is, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. He just wants to make sure he eats enough cheese or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's so true. Yeah. Now you got a point there. I just, I, you know, there, there, like the, the amount of life here though, is just so expansive, yeah. so expansive that, that there, there's interest in all different forms. And, and, and some of these guys just stay completely clear of humans don't even want to bother with them. Well, and have you heard about like, okay, just speaking of the different life forms here, like you and I are going to have to do an entire episode on dolphins at some point. Oh yeah. I went down to Florida. I was on a jet ski and I ended up playing for like over 10 minutes with some dolphins that were in the ocean that were just hanging out with me that wanted to play with me. And I was like, now they probably wanted to have sex with you, man. Dolphins are like completely, totally over-sexualized. They are. (laughs) I mean, we've remote viewed them and they're like, yeah, they could, they have a very intense sexual energy. Very strong. They do. No, it's no like John's not joking around here. Like it's a it's actually a thing. But also there's an element of them that is very human and playful in a way that that like you can't replicate or that I haven't seen replicated among other animals the same way. Like when you play with a doll dog, it's like it's obviously that's a dog. You're playing with the dog and it's like a very simple, mindless kind of like playing thing, like go chase that that stick. Watching dolphins and even observing dolphins in the wild treat their children the way that they treat them in this almost like poking, playful way is very unique. And and there's all of this research that's been done that's actually more controversial about uh, these things called like dolphin births. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. Where where the there's been research done on uh, women having having birth near or around dolphins while they're doing it, and the kids end up coming out. Of course, this is controversial. Like I said, um, it, like they're they're actually being around a dolphin, and it's somehow the the kids end up becoming much more advanced more quickly. Maybe it's from the sonar or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? And now I'm not really um, an advocate of animals really being around with this kind of stuff just because from my research in Chinese culture and things like animals possess people a lot of like they they can do that like foxes like all of these things like there's like too many stories to even mention and you might think what I'm saying is out like I sound out of my mind but no this is like we're talking about like thousands of years of culture revolved around this type of thing right but what is it about the dolphins or the sonar around the dolphins that actually like create this sort of these circumstances? It's a very fascinating topic, you know? Well, you know, we were like, we did this one project where um, there was a movie, an IMAX movie on Jojo, the dolphin. Um, uh, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name that was in, interacting with Jojo, but Jojo had like been excommunicated in a sense from the rest of his 
uh, whatever pod. And, and it would always come up to people and swim with people, in, I think in the Bahamas somewhere. And so the guy behind the film wanted us to remote view Jojo to try to understand how Jojo felt about the central character. I think his name was Dean. And so we remote viewed Jojo and Jojo was actually um, trying to mimic <clears throat> and speak as a human speaks and was in a place of being able to learn down that path to use a different part of its its brain that not not doesn't necessarily get used a whole lot in order to be able to use words actually to speak which was very fascinating and and when we were viewing the dolphin it was like it was able to like a parrot like trying to parrot words um, back at uh dean so it was very strange <clears throat> these guys are incredibly intelligent. They don't have the same type of brain structure that right. we do. Like when we do consciousness mapping and remote viewing on, on dolphins, it's much different than humans. So they don't have the cogitative type of mind that humans have, but it does seem like they can provoke that type of ability in themselves if they worked at it and wanted to. There's also on Instagram right now, this uh, dog that it's named Bunny the dog. And the dog was given a bunch of buttons uh, to press, right? And uh, the buttons all are English words. And so if you press a series of the buttons, you can actually formulate a sentence. And the dog started to use and learn almost English through these buttons that it's pressing to the point where the dog is actually having an incredible existential crisis right now where it's looking in the mirror and it doesn't understand why it's a dog. <laughs> like it, it thinks and wants to be a human being. And like to the point where the, and I, I don't agree with this, right? Like the whole thing is a bit off, but the, owner as I guess put bunny this dog on antidepressants because the the dog will just stare in the mirror and it doesn't it will constantly ask her why dog why am I a dog you know that's really funny okay so I had this dog and um you know what they say about red dogs right like in 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 Asian that they drink um, a lot like like humans <laughs> no no red dogs are supposed to be a dog in the lore, like mythology of Buddhism and whatnot, red dogs are a dog that in their next life, they're going to be a human. Really? Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. Right? Okay. And um, I had this red dog uh, not that long ago. And like, I always got the sense that this dog was so close to being a human um, because of its intelligence. But it was at, so I had it remote viewed and and my and what this dog was was it came from being a human in its last life so it was a human and really wanted to be a dog again and literally the person's name was nancy <laughs> it was <laughs> the perfect perfect name for a red-haired dog is nancy yeah 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 so That's yeah so but I, th I think i think there is like with animals i think that if animals work at it they can have this more cogitative higher conceptual ability, well, but they don't necessarily need it in the way that they live like naturally. Right. And, and I think my point in explaining this story about Bunny the dog was also that I think like the dolphin you were you were discussing, Jojo, where it starts to interact with humans to a point where they, their brains start to change in order to fit 
more human ways of communicating yeah, and structure. Exactly. This is and how then, I'm supposed to interact with them, right? Right. Yeah. And then it almost becomes this like strange, you know, existential crisis that the animal goes through where it actually starts to wonder why the heck it's not human and it should be, you know. <laughs> oh man, that's so, I gotta, I gotta look this one up. That's really amazing. It's I pretty weird. It, yeah. It's like, like I actually, I can't, I can't watch it for too long. Cause I'm just like, man, it's like watching uh, a, like a, a crazy cat lady with too many cats where you're just yeah, like, yeah, all right, yeah. I just can't like, I, they become more like the cats and the cats are like right. more like whiny humans. It's really just bizarre yeah. to me, but, um, but yeah, back to Antarctica, that was a strange kind of awesome tangent that we just went on. Um, well, that, I mean, that's really like talking about different genetic sequences and DNA. Is. I mean, like, like, and, and the amount of species here, we always compare intelligence to how we operate, but intelligence is, is not necessarily that. It's not conceptualizing the world around you necessarily. Well, no, it's not. And, and you know, what's weird is like you and I were kind of looking into this. I, I was showing you a dig that I was on a, a little bit of a rabbit hole last night where I was looking into why, like, why were the planets named how they were planned, uh, named right. how they were named? I, I don't quite understand because they were named after, um, you know, Greek slash Roman gods. Uh, uh, Titans and just the the Greek pantheon. You, you start getting into like Uranus, Uranus, whatever, however you want to say that. And um, it was you know the god of 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 sky, and then you know it leads to like all of these things start to lead to this god named um, Tartarus, basically. And I was like, well, then why was it called Tartaria? So right. was the god of Tartarus, but the god of Tartarus was the god of the underworld in the Titan lore, not in not Pluto, which is Hades. We're talking about the Titan lore, which was before. And then even there was even a mention of Jesus talking about a uh, area called Tartaros where bad people would be sent, which was like the lower levels of the underworld. So there is this strange connection even that Jesus was referencing you know, maybe to make it easy on everyone at the time, he was explaining it the way that they would understand. I don't really know. But this area in in hell called Tartaros or whatever it was, it was a god in, in Titan lore. But it was the the whole area was the living thing that was this god. It was it was like the area was the god, not a person like in you know, like a, 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 a living walking God, you know what I mean? Right. And so the reason why that was really interesting to me was because like what we as human beings consider life forms are very limited. Yeah. Right. And intelligence. We, exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's like, what if, what if this octagonal thing that they found in Antarctica was looking for other types of life forms that human beings don't consider to be life forms. Like exactly are like, yeah. The earth is a life form. It's right. a, a life form we don't understand, but it is a life form. You know, that's above my pay grade, to be honest. But right. there it is, right? Right. So it's a just a really interesting conversation when you start getting into life forms. And then this extremely advanced technology that's looking for a genetic sequence to try to find something to further their own esoteric powers. Like our universe is just so much more bizarre and weird. And well, I know, right? I mean, okay. So in, in the scope of like remote viewing, all this kind of stuff, when I initially saw that, that clip, that ancient aliens clip, I'm like, yeah, no, probably not. But it is, it is, it truly is something absolutely bizarre 
connected to something bizarre, which look, it's like when we do these shows or when I talk, what do we normally present? We normally present things that are nuts. We normally present things because of the things that we have that we see around these, because that's the interesting story. When we look at these types of things, they usually turn out to be a nothing burger, right? right. Because there's just not a whole ton of them. But this truly is something absolutely bizarre. And I think you're right. It's like, you know, humans existing in their boxes. Like, look, we live in boxes. I got a box around me all the time. And that's also an, an analogy on the way we think. Like we, we think within these boxes of only human ways of, of interacting. And we turn on our, our TVs, get on our phones, and we only look at how humans are interacting. That's all we do. So, of course, we're not even going to be able to recognize life forms that are outside of the way we are. And then we think we're at the top of that food chain. Which is a hilarious. Right. Yeah. Hilarious. I mean, really, think about it, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, you guys, uh, that's all for this episode. Uh, we've went a little over on this one, um, but it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, did not expect to be talking about Bunny the dog, but I'm glad we did. And um, yeah, so John, thanks so much for being with us. And for all of you at home in the next episode, we're going to be getting into Eric Hecker, the Antarctica whistleblower that has a lot of information, probably the the best whistleblower uh, for this type of um, subject matter uh, in the last 20 years, potentially with all of the stuff that he revealed. So we'll be getting into all of that, the implications of it and what's really down in Antarctica in the next episode. Please comment below. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of this episode, what you think of the show and what you'd like us to look into. And uh, I hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>